Hi, and welcome to Foul Puck, a podcast about sports ball for the rest of us. Unlike other sports ball podcasts, we talk about sports without assuming you out there, our four listeners, know everything there is to know about Pelotons and natural breaks. I am your host today, Rebecca, and uh, I am going to claim myself as the hockey hincappy today, uh, which I'll explain later. And I'm joined by my friends on the West Coast. Uh, I'm Nancy, and I would be a basketball enthusiast if there were any basketball. I am uh, currently your figure skating drama enthusiast, uh, but (laughs) we're not going to go into that uh, too much today. Uh, Also, Rebecca, we've got at least five listeners. Come on. (laughs) Oh, okay. Good. Awesome. Yeah, we added number five. We did. Yes! (laughs) And I'm Rachel. I'm your baseball guru. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all of us. Okay. That's all you're um, a guru. So, of. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand. I don't feel very guru-y now with no sports on. Yeah. Um, Forgetting everything you ever knew. Yeah. I am a little bit. Um, I was actually having a conversation with Brittany shortly before we started about um, uh, a post- comparing Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche and Artemi Panarin of the Rangers. Mm. And it actually meant that I had to go to the internet and look up statistics. And like, it reminded me about things that were happening in the season. And I started to get excited (laughs) again. And then I was like, Oh, but I I can't actually watch them. Yeah. Wind it back down. A thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's quite sad. It's like a whole mindset and I'm just not, in it yeah yeah that's really true like it's and I mean I know on my end like I've got stuff going on in my personal life like we're moving so like I've that's eating up a lot of my brain space but it's definitely like sports turned off and I was real real sad about it for a couple weeks and then now I'm like well it's just the off season and my brain's just like okay well I guess we're just we're just in the off season so we're not paying attention to any of it anymore and I'm wondering how you know, because the basketball offseason ends in like August, September, you start getting like training camp and stuff. Um, and you can start getting excited about things. And I'm wondering if we don't have sports back by then, if I'm going to feel that loss again, or if my brain is just going to be like, no, nah, it's still offseason, the just indefinite offseason. <laughs> no, I think we're going to feel it again. Yeah. I think when we start hitting milestones of when season should start, mm-hmm. That's that's when we're going to feel it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be true. For those of us who had seasons cut short. And Rachel, you got like two days of training camp, right? And then nothing? Yeah. Oh. And there was something that reminded me of, like, I think we went to a, a game around this time last yeah, year. we did, I yeah. I was like, oh, we should be thinking about going to games now, but we're not. Yeah. Oh. There are no games. Yeah, I did have that because we did. We went to a Sharks game, you and me and my partner and a friend of ours. We all went to a Sharks game. Yeah, and like, that's right. It came up in my, you know, pictures from last year, you know, app on my phone. I was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a thing we used to do. Yeah. <laughs> womp womp. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so I think part of the thing that got me a little bit nostalgic about sports was the fact that I kind of realized that right now in a normal year without a global pandemic, we would be right in the height of cycling. Ah. And that, Mm -hmm. that's a, 
that's a thing that I love to watch. Um, so right now in April and May is when the the classic, the, the spring classics are usually taking place. Mm-hmm. So those are the one day um, road races. Uh, the four biggest ones tend to be in the spring are, um, wait a minute, I just had it up. Um, Milan San Remo, the Tour of Flanders, Paris Roubaix, and Liège Bastogne Liège, and half of them have been canceled and half of them have been postponed, and it's just weird. Mm. And so the summer, the summer is when you have the three big tours: the Tour of Italy, the Tour de France, and the Tour of Spain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and basically they've postponed those. Um, the the UCI the um, the cycling governing body has um, essentially postponed everything till August first, and so if people you know if the countries that these things are going to take place in are open and allow um, public gatherings and it's deemed safe, the Tour de France is going to be at the end of August and into September, and normally it's in the middle of July. Yeah, that'd be super so, weird. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I mean, it'll be weird for me as a spectator because I'm used to like watching that in the middle of the summer and now it'll be in September, but it'll also be different for the, the cyclists. I almost said the contestants, (laughs) the cyclists as well, of course, because the weather is going to be so drastically different. I mean, in the summer, when you watch the Tour de France, some of those days they're, you know, they're in a hundred degree heat, but when you start getting up in the Alps in the middle of September, I've got to imagine it's going to be quite a bit colder than that. At least in the evenings and so, mornings. Yeah. It might still get pretty yeah. warm during the middle of the day, but yeah, at least yeah. it'll change some of it. And I imagine the humidity will change a lot, which I assume mm-hmm. affects things like tire inflation and brake function and stuff like that. Probably. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the wetness does in general. So rain does. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, like it's, it's rubber. I think it's pretty affected by like, you know, barometric pressure and, and humidity and stuff like that. Moisture. So, I mean, even as somebody who follows cycling, not at all, like it's impossible to miss the Tour de France, uh, especially in July. And yeah, like I can't, I imagine if it does happen in August or September, like that's going to feel weird even to me, yeah. not even being yeah. plugged in at all. <laughs> it, yeah, it's weird. Thinking about having the Tour de France going on on my birthday, which is in September, is weird. Just because of the, like, there's so, such different times of year. Mm-hmm. It's um, a shame because it's one of the few sports I think, you know, once they get started, they can kind of maintain social distance. You know? Uh... <laughs> no, do so, they clump up? So actually, I haven't actually oh, yeah, they, seen much. So actually. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the terms I used in our intro was the Peloton. And uh-huh. so the Peloton is is not just a uh bike like a fancy bike service that's happening right now. It actually comes from cycling and in these in these major races you do get a huge clump of cyclists together. So in the Tour de France there are I'm going to say 150 riders because there are mm-hmm. 10 on every team or nine on every team, really. Um, 
And for the most part, you will get a cluster of 125 of them riding together. And by really? together, I mean, they're like bumping shoulders. They're, they're, they can elbow each other. They have little conversations. So they, they are quite close together for a good portion of this. It's not like, um, it's not like, uh, time trialing or indoor track racing solo. Um, but when you're, when you're road racing, um, or, track racing that's not a, a time trial you are very close with your competitors well and even How more than just the competitors i mean i i think that there's a lot of like assistive folks involved right like you have the people bringing the yes. food you have all the like medics you have like the bike tuners like it's one of, it's almost mm-hmm. like nascar right like for every competitor there's you know five other people who are directly physically involved right yeah, yeah. So in in a in a in a race like the Tour de France, every team has um, a, a team car that the the roof is covered in bikes. There are like eight <laughs> or nine, probably eight or nine bikes, like spares. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, and spare tires. Um, the the car has the coach, a doctor. Um, Perhaps somebody with food, um, and sometimes if you're very lucky, you can pay your way as a spectator to be in that car, Ooh, which I'm wow. going to say is like life goals right now. Yeah, um, that w- like I don't yeah. care at all about cycling, but I'd totally do that. That seems baller. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, that'd right? be super interesting. So, yeah, so so you have at least three to four people in the car at any one given time, mm-hmm. which is also not social distancing. And so anytime a rider gets like scraped up, if they, if they crash, if they have, um, a blown tire, if they have some other mechanical issue, if they need to talk to the coach, any of these things, they will, they will end up going back. They don't actually like turn around and go back. They just kind of slow down and let the car catch up Mm -hmm. to talk to their, talk to their coach to get medical attention while they are still on their bikes you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it is, it is a very person heavy and interaction heavy sport. Well, and I'm just completely yeah. wrong. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's why we're here. <laughs> well, and there's also, um, I mean, I remember and, seeing it on TV and like, you get all these giant crowds who come out to watch them too. And I imagine like putting that yeah, down would be hard. Would be, like you yes. have to, you'd have to tell people they couldn't. And then you'd also like probably have to really enforce that. Cause I imagine a lot of folks. Yes, would. you would want to do it anyway because doesn't the tour de france end with like literally riding through the streets of paris and like through the arc de triomphe and like yeah yes yeah so so um the tour de france and the um, tour of italy and the tour of spain are what they call stage races so they're all three weeks long and there's um essentially a race every day and i think they get two rest days in amongst those three weeks and so every day is anywhere from like a three to six hour ride. Um, and then it's your cumulative time over the three weeks that determines who's who wins. Um, and so a lot of the individual stages go through tiny towns in these countries. And so, you know, it's really prestigious for the Tour de France to come through your town. Mm-hmm. And so... If this is the first time the Tour de France has come through your town in a hundred years, you're going to want to go out and be there. Mm-hmm. 
And I can't yeah. imagine enforcing physical distancing rules in a situation like that. And you're absolutely so right, So it's Nancy, not the, the same route every year? It's no different? Okay. It's different every year. The The one thing is the same that is the end of the final stage. Um, but yeah, it's different every year. It, it actually alternates clockwise and counterclockwise with the way it goes around the country. Oh, interesting. But it really does go around the country. <laughs> yeah. Um, occasionally, it will actually start in another country. Once it started in Rotterdam, it started in um, Spain. Uh, you know, just like the start of what this, the first stage is in another country. By the end of the day, they're in France. Hmm. Um. But the the last day of the tour, they ride through the countryside and they ride to Paris and then um, and then they do, I think it's 12, 12 times up and down the Rue de Rivoli um, through Paris and around the Arc de Triomphe until the final one where you try to win it. Mm. Um, and I was actually there a long time ago gosh it was probably 10 15 years ago now and it was packed like it was like a comic-con packed type situation yeah we stood outside for seven hours waiting for them to get into the city and then you know we got like an hour of racing where they just whizzed by and then we had to wait (laughs) 10 minutes for them to whiz by again (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i've seen the photos and the crowds are insane like which stands to reason but yeah it seems challenging Mm -hmm. for you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) the current bullshit Mm -hmm. yeah and actually i was i was reading something earlier um columbia which has a number of really good riders um has only just recently allowed some of their professional cyclists to start practicing outside oh wow um yeah Mm -hmm. they've all been forced to practice inside for the majority of the time Hmm. um and they have to remain five meters apart if they're practicing in groups and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be challenging. I mean, just like it is with any sport, it's going to be challenging getting these these athletes back out and up into, you know, racing shape mm-hmm. and, and peak performance for a real season. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I know. You have a lot of opinions about sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I'm missing cycling right now. So and, uh, tell me, Rebecca, because like, I mean, I have seen pictures of the Tour de France and like, I'm aware of, you know, who Lance Armstrong is. And like, I, I remember it was real big when I was in high school. I think that was when he was like, did he marry Cheryl Crow or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I have pop culture knowledge of this, <laughs> <laughs> but sure, I can't say that I've ever like caught cycling on the TV and gone oh, huh, I really want to watch this. So can you yeah. explain to me what you find appealing about it? Because I'm really interesting. What it, I mean, it sounds like you're really grabbed by it, and I'd love to know what it is that you find engaging about it. Sure. Well, so I I also kind of got into it when Lance Armstrong was um, was doing his thing. Um, and that was that was exciting because it was an American who was starting to, like, make waves in this, Mm-hmm. very international and French heavy um, sport and uh, competition. I, I, but I've, I'm gonna, I've stayed with it because I, I'm going to interrupt you and say, we should identify who Lance Armstrong is. He was 
a yeah. famous cycler who won a bunch of shit and then got discredited because he did apparently dope. Yeah. Um, yeah, yes. and had cancer in the middle and yep. came back from it. So he was this whole yeah. huge hero story so, for a while and then yeah, right. not so much. Right. But he was so a very he pop actually, culture he had figure cancer, for a bit. Yes. yes. He had cancer before he went on his major winning streak. Okay. Okay. Um, so he was a he was like like a real up and coming. He showed a lot of promise, then got testicular mm. cancer, went through all of that. Apparently he had like his doctors thought he had a 15% chance of surviving. Dang. And so there really is a legitimate survivor story there. Mm-hmm. Um and I have been disillusioned by Lance Armstrong just as much as other people, but I think it was also a disillusionment with the sport because while he finally got caught and admitted what he did, it was really, I mean, it's kind of like steroids in baseball, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of, for a long time, it was an open secret. Right. Um, But. Yeah. And how are you going to punish the people who got caught more than, you know. Yeah. Right. Everyone who's doing it. And I'm not, I'm. Yeah, and I'm not defending him. No, of course. Um, right. But so there was a there was a whole thing. Um, so what I find so there are there are a couple of different things I find interesting. Um, I find interesting that there's actual strategy to it. Mm. I find fascinating that something like the Tour de France is a team sport, right? Yeah, there's I don't think I knew winner. that it was. Right. Yeah, but yeah, it's I a didn't... team sport. Um and and learning that in the team dynamics is really fascinating. So uh I'm gonna focus primarily on the, the Tour de France, but there are nine players on your team. There are nine <laughs> cyclists on your team. Um usually for the for the teams that have the most money and the most prestige, they have one, maybe two people who could actually legitimately win the tour. So um, wait though, if if you are on a team, how does one person win? Sure. So the winner of these stages is the person who finishes it in the least amount of time. Sure. And you do not always finish the race with your teammates. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you, if the three of us are on a team and Nancy, you finish five minutes before Rachel and I, um, uh-huh. and then the next day, Rachel beats us by six minutes. She's now a minute ahead of you, right? Right. So, so Rachel would win, even though we're on her team, we didn't, we didn't cycle as fast sure. as her. And so she wins. But then what's the point of having the team? Like, how, how does this so, team function, I guess? To all wear right. the same uniform. <laughs> right. <laughs> they do all wear the same uniform. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you usually have one person, maybe two if you're lucky, who could legitimately win the tour. Right. And that's somebody who is good at long, flat stages. So they've got that endurance to just keep pushing through. They might be good at sprinting just a little bit so they can they can push just at the end to get that um, that final, um, inch ahead of their, uh, competitors, but they also have to be a climber. Mm. So they also have to be able to climb these huge mountain stages in the Alps and the Pyrenees and not completely (laughs) blow a gasket. Yeah. This is all just confirming that I will never be a cyclist. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that sounds like the opposite of fun. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, everybody in the tour is peak athletic performance, Clearly. but everybody also has their strengths. So, um, so for a long time, Mark Cavendish and Garrett Thomas were on a team together. They're both British. Mark Cavendish is a great follow on Instagram if you're ever curious. Cavendish is an incredible sprinter. Um, and Garrett Thomas is also a good sprinter, but frequently he was what you would call a lead out man. So he would ride immediately in front of uh, Mark Cavendish, which essentially then cuts the air for him, mm. makes it a little bit easier for Mark behind him riding in his draft. And Garrett would just kind of cut through the peloton, get out ahead with other lead up guys. And then when it was time to go, Mark Cavendish had the ability to just like turn on the speed and pedal to the metal around him to go for a win. Huh. That's wild. Yes. So the same, the same kind of thing applies in the mountain stages as well. So you have, uh, you have nine people on a team, and if you have a well, um, a well organized team, you're going to have seven or eight guys leading out your best climbers, your best the people who are most likely to be able to win because hmm. they're the best all around. And so it's really interesting to watch a a team like if you go back 10 years and you watch the US postal team that Lance Armstrong was on they were they were incredible because you'd watch them climb a mountain and George Hincappy who I who I referenced before he would be one of these lead out guys and he would just he was a workhorse he would just lead as far up the mountain as he could go and then when he couldn't go anymore he'd peel off and the next US postal guy would be right behind him and so Lance Armstrong has 15% less work to do 90% of the way up the mountain. And then one by one, all of their teammates fall back and then he can go win the stage. So the point of a team is to make one of the team members win. So kind of. So the, the point of the team um, is to win overall. You can win stages there are many races within the race. You can win those. Um, it's a lot of it is to get your sponsor's name on the television so that you get more sponsorship <laughs> money and your your team can exist for another year. Fair. Things like that. Um, yeah, but there, there are sprint points and there are mountain points and there are many sprints within an individual stage. Um and and each of these has a strategic value for the team. Many of them also have a monetary value for the team. Okay. Okay. So so the team is less of a team in the way we would think of like a team sport like basketball or hockey and more sort of a mutually mm-hmm. beneficial federation. Is that? <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because there's not like a big trophy that like the team walks away with that they all get to hold up and say, we won this together. Well, there is a there is a team competition. Okay. So overall, the the team whose individual times add up to the least amount of time okay. wins the team race. 
But, you know, when you talk about the winner of the Tour de France, right. you don't usually talk about no. the team. You talk about right. the one person. Okay. Interesting. That's fascinating. I had no idea it was a team sport yeah. at all. Like, I knew that there were nationalities and, involved. Like, you'd have, you know, eight mm-hmm. U.S. guys. But I didn't know that they were mm-hmm. affiliated in any way other than being we're the eight guys from the U.S. So... Well, and it's actually likely that the eight guys from the U.S. are not all on the same team. Because oh. the teams in the Tour de France are not by nationality. Oh, Olympics okay. are by nationality. Okay. Um, teams are not. Fascinating. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite things to watch, again, when, when U.S. Postal or Team Discovery um, were kind of leading the way, was the team time trial. So an individual time trial is a shorter race Mm -hmm. it's maybe 30 miles instead of 100 miles um and it's just they they go one at a time and you're just riding by yourself to the finish line and the fastest person wins Mm -hmm. they also did a team time trial so it was the fastest team that would win Mm -hmm. and this was another place where you would see that drafting technique so Mm -hmm. you'd see nine guys riding in a row Mm -hmm. and the the guy up front just goes you know it goes for maybe 30 seconds and then cycles to the back. It's like, um, this is a terrible name for it, but Indian runs. Did you have to yep. ever have to do those yep. in sports in high school? Yep. It's almost like a reverse Indian run. I hated those. There's got to be a better name for that. Those were brutal. Yeah. yeah. yeah but that I was don't when, think we ever did that. that was, oh, they're awful. <laughs> that was when your whole team was running in a row and the person in the back had to sprint all the way to the front. Yep. And when they got to the front, the person in the back had to sprint to the front. Oof. Yeah. So the team time trial was like, the, yeah. the opposite of that. The person in front could kind of slow down a little bit and move to the back. Yeah. Yes, I remember anyway, those. Anyway, those were really fun to watch. <laughs> I should find some of those old videos that might make it interesting for you. I just, you know, cycling is one of those things where, like, I have a bicycle. Like, I grew up riding my bicycle around everywhere because I lived in the country. Um, I enjoy bicycling. I can imagine. I can imagine enjoying going for long bicycle rides in flat places. I can imagine that there is a certain (laughs) zen of like, okay, and we're just going to ride for a while and like, we'll watch the scenery. And after some time, we will stop and have a picnic and then we'll ride for a while again. Like, I can get that. I can definitely see how that would be fun. But like, the second hills or mountains enter into it, I'm like, no, no, I'm I'm good. We are. Nope. (laughs) No, again, to be clear, the only way I want to do do the Tour de France is either in the team car or in the news helicopter. Ooh. Ooh, that's worse. I'd rather bike it than helicopter it, but I will ride in the car. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nancy and I were uh, brainstorming ideas for uh, uh, on Mount Tam. You'll see uh, near us, you'll see oh, bicyclists yeah. uh, uh-huh. going up and down the mountain on, well, you know, previously on Saturdays, you'd have you'd see <laughs> cyclists. And so we were going to start a, uh, a company out of a van that would just take people up to the top yep. and let them ride down and do the fun part. <gasps> yep. That's a great idea. Right? I feel like we could make it kill it. And we could also, like, have another van that just goes around and, like, spots the, like, cyclists who are, like, halfway up and kind of flagging and be like, hey, you want to ride? You got five bucks? We'll give you a ride. (laughs) So, actually, if you do, like, professional biking tours... They usually have a, a van like that. They'd so have you can to. choose to ride for part of the day and then not for another be part. like, no, I'm done. Yeah. See, the problem is if I did that, I w- I'm such a like, such a shit about it. I hate giving up on stuff like that. At least 
Mm. So I would just punish myself. You know, I would not be able to just be like, okay, I've gone for two hours and I'm good now. I'd be like, okay, nobody else has dropped yet. I have to keep going. I have to keep going. (laughs) And would be miserable Mm. the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I I will say another fascinating part of watching professional cycling is watching them descend out of the Alps and the Pyrenees. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like sometimes they they race motorcycles. Um, like, <laughs> are you expecting? I just, a I'm just imagining to... a whole bunch of grown ass adults <laughs> going, Wee! <laughs> I'm imagining more like I don't, fuck, I don't fuck, think fuck. they. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've heard them mic mic the Peloton, but that would be interesting. Uh, but like, you watch that, and sometimes the the motorcycles <laughs> that are filming the tour are going slower than the cyclists down the mountain. That's so scary. Because they're going so fast. Yeah. Yeah. There was a hill that I know where I lived back in Utah, there was, there's a fairly sharp uh, hill that actually my folks live on top of. Um, And I remember a few different times that uh, my partner biked down it and he had a little speedometer on his bike. And I definitely know he hit up over like 37 at least once. And, you know, which I think it probably does not compare to the Tour de France guys in the Alps. Like they're probably hitting like 65 or something. But like at the time I was like, that's, that's plenty. (laughs) Yeah. That's faster than a naked human should go on a Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's it's terrifying just to watch. I can't imagine doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah. but that leads me to another question. Like, I mean, I know that there are, because they do all travel in packs, like really tight packs, like every so often you'll have like a big wipeout, right? Um, mm-hmm. Does that ever happen in the mountains? Have we ever had a time where like 50 bikers oh, fell yeah. off the side There's of a mountain? <gasps> um, so there hasn't been a time where where a bunch of bikers have fallen off a mountain. There, there have been times when individual, maybe two or three bikers fall off-ish a mountain. A couple people have died. Yikes! Uh, yeah. Um, usually when you get up into the mountains and descending, the peloton starts to stretch out. Okay. Um, and so, so you don't, you're not usually that tightly packed hundred guys trying okay. to climb together or descend together. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially on the descent, the, the, usually get very strung out like one by one there's um some of the some of the guys who are really good at descending can actually pass people (sighs) on the descent which is bananas um but no you don't usually get those big groups um going especially down the mountains is that intentional that they space themselves out like that? Or is that just sort of like a, a happenstance of who's good at it and who's not good at it and who has better equipment? I, I think it's mostly, yeah, I think it's mostly a happenstance. Interesting. It's just a, it's, it's a function of when you hit the top of the mountain, how good you are descending, where you are um, in the, like in the standings, do you need to pull back time on that descent or are mm-hmm. you okay just kind of taking it? easy quote unquote quote so you know you only go 45 (laughs) miles an hour instead of 48 miles an hour Uh um yeah and then i mean there are some there are some cyclists who aren't as good at descending as others and so they're going to be a little bit slower so those are the ones who fall back Mm -hmm. you know but on on mountain stages especially the peloton also gets 
decimated. So flat stages, they're, they're big bunches, but on mountain stages, they tend to break off into like groups of 20 or 30 instead of that big group of, hmm. you know, 150. Fascinating. All right. Well, when we have yeah. sports again, maybe I'll watch some cycling and make yeah. you tell me about it. <laughs> I might have to find some, uh, some old cycling videos to see if I can find some good ones that were, that are fun to watch. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'd be into but that. Yes. If, if we do get a Tour de France in uh, September, I will talk more about it. Good. <laughs> yeah. We'll eagerly await it. Um, but yeah. But uh, speaking of sports that aren't happening. Womp um, <laughs> womp. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rachel, I hear you have a uh, obscure baseball fact for us. And that's the fact is obscure, not the sport, right? <laughs> so far. Because I don't remember what yes. baseball is. <laughs> well, it's actually an unwritten rule, but... You know, we'll go with mm. that. That's right. Sorry. Okay. All right. So today's unwritten rule of baseball, following up a little bit on last time's, uh, don't walk in front of the catcher on your way up to bat. Okay. So I'm last time you parse that this... through in my brain. Don't walk in front <laughs> of the catcher. How can you not, though? You have to stand in front of him. You walk but around you behind walk the catcher. Behind him. But you, okay, just, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I will think this through. In our softball games, we don't do this. Okay. But, okay. So here, we, last time we looked at the strange geometry of the baseball infield regarding the pitcher's mound. Mm -hmm. And there's a similar similar corollary for the area around home plate. So depending on whether you're right-handed or left-handed and which dugout your team occupies, you're going to find yourself needing to get to the batter's box on the far side of home plate at some point. However, don't be tempted to simply walk across home plate, circle around behind the catcher and usually the umpire instead. So at the little league level, this is about shooting range style safety. You don't stand down range from a loaded pitcher. <laughs> For clarity's sake, you don't step in the batter's box at all until you're ready to hit. Because uh, there's a small but real chance that an overeager pitcher could simply let one fly while you're crossing the plate. Mm-hmm. Of course, one assumes this kind of mistake would be far less likely by the time one gets to high school ball, but at that point, it's usually just habit for the batter to watch, walk behind the catcher. By the time you get to the pro level, however, the verbiage around this rule changes, and it becomes about respect rather than safety. Huh. For example, oh my God. a former A's player with the truly excellent Hall of Fame level name of Shooty Babbitt said, it's just bad etiquette to walk in front of the catcher. It's like breaking the rhythm of the game. You want to creep into the batter's box. You don't want to create any attention. You don't want to give them any more incentive to get you out. Huh. Uh, however, another former A, with also with a great name, Dusty Baker, had a different <laughs> interpretation. It's not so much for the rhythm of the game, but it's that it's their, meaning the catcher and umpire's territory, not yours. So here's my question that no amount of Googling could answer. In the case of this rule, did the cart come before the horse? Was a safety rule, one that became ingrained in players at a very young mm. age, reverse engineered to be about respect? Since everyone was walking behind the catcher anyway, did a sort of how the camel got his hump style rule of etiquette arise around it? Now, unlike most of the rules on this list, this is one that you will almost never see broken. Hmm. In fact, I'm not sure what the consequences are because I couldn't find any big league examples of it. Perhaps it's the baseball equivalent of dividing by zero, or perhaps it's like matter meeting antimatter. <laughs> so, which leads me to this week's conspiracy theory. Someone, <laughs> somewhere in the world, was playing a winter pickup game with a bunch of friends in December of 2019, 
and crossed in front of the catcher on the way to the batter's box. And that's why we have coronavirus. Oh. And that was the rules. <laughs> this checks that out. That is quite the conspiracy. I'll believe it. It's one I haven't heard yet. <laughs> no, I haven't either. That's really interesting. That I and I the the concept of which came first is kind of fascinating as well. Yeah, because I wonder yeah. that about some of these like courtesy rules. Is it really courtesy, or is it just like we want to do this because we want to save the the brains of tiny children, and then that's just how you learn yeah. how to do it? Mm-hmm. Or was there once a practical reason for it, but something about that changed, and it's no longer practical. So mm-hmm. now it's about respect. That's interesting. I feel like it's. Uh, I feel like probably it was a safety reason. And then one time, somewhere along the way, one guy crossed in front of the catcher and the catcher was like, what the F is your problem? How can you disrespect me like this? And then it turned into a thing. How dare Almost you? certainly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you ingrain that habit so young and like, it's not even a choice to not break it really. Like you, you just can't yeah. not, you know? Well, that's also, there's, there's no, there's no reason to break that right. one. Yeah. It's not like some of the other ones, I don't know, that feel more prohibitive. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm. The more you know. That's a good one. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. <laughs> it's not copyrighted, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, definitely don't Probably. imagine a star. <laughs> no, or a rainbow. <laughs> Nope, 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 stop. (laughs) Nope, nothing. Uh, It's okay, we aren't making any money. Oh, that's true. (laughs) true. We're not making any money off of this. Now, advertisers, if you would like to change that, we are open to the conversation. And you can reach us at. (laughs) Yes. Foulpuckpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the next thing we have on our agenda is much less fun than that rule. And that's uh, a sports uh, current event involving former Washington Capitol, Brendan Leipzig. So the thing here is uh, allegedly somebody's Instagram was hacked. I don't really believe that somebody's Instagram was hacked. It was his friend? Is this what I mean? Yeah. I like saw bits and pieces yeah. of this on Twitter. So like, he's a Capitals player. His friend has an Instagram. And oh, he has an Instagram. Well, he had an Instagram. So, <laughs> so it was a it was a group DM on Instagram, a group chat on Instagram mm. that um, you can do that on Instagram. That, yes. Sorry, I'm a thousand years old, apparently. <laughs> yes, indeed you can. Um, I can show you how to do that off pod if you want. I look at pictures of doggies. That's what I do. Yes. To be fair, Rebecca, you are fair. the youngest. You are supposed to know these things that us olds well, don't yeah, know. No. Rachel's younger than me, I think. Uh-uh, I think you're younger than uh-uh. us by a couple years. Oh. All right. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so it was a, is a group private message, a group chat in, um, Instagram. Which the kids and, these days are um, doing. Yes. The kids these days <laughs> are doing that. Um, and, uh, it involved a lot of, um, misogynistic, fat phobic, 
kind of awful statements. Delightful. Like there was quite a bit of use, uh, liberal use of the C word. They were talking about specific women and uh, how they wouldn't want to go home with that person and how their their bodies were disgusting. And, and wasn't it like uh, other players' wives or girlfriends or yes, something Yes, there, were, there were wow. other... So this is not yeah. just like the yeah. yeah. rando celebrity. This is like my teammate's significant no. other... Yeah, yes. Classy. Yes. They were they were absolutely not celebrities that they were talking about. Um and uh <laughs> so Leipzig and his brother were both in the chat. Um another player whose name I forget. Oh, Jack Rodewald of the Florida Panthers was in the chat. Um and at least one or two other people. Um and also in the private chat, this was less offensive, more just stupid. Um, Leipzig <laughs> talked about uh, two of his Washington Capitals teammates who have a podcast and called them losers. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now, Leipzig had had been sitting on the on the bench for quite some time towards the end of the season. Um, his teammates were not. So I'll just, you know, put that out there. Um, so so the Capitals, so I don't know how it got leaked. Somebody, quote unquote, hacked into the account, took screenshots and and posted it somewhere. It ended up on Reddit, of course, as a long thread mm-hmm. of all of the all of the um, conversation, mm-hmm. including pictures and stuff like this. Um, so the Capitals were made aware of it. Um, the NHL actually released a statement saying they strongly condemn the misogynistic and reprehensible remarks. Um, wow. Which hmm. I was, I was shocked by that language. The fact that they actually used the word misogynistic. Yeah. The national hockey league <laughs> used the word misogynistic. It, it was like, it, Did it your was heart incredible. Grow three sizes. <laughs> well, maybe maybe like a half a size. <laughs> um and then and then a couple days later, maybe not even a couple days later, maybe a day later, um uh the Capitals placed Brandon Leipzig on unconditional waivers for purposes of terminating his contract. So, that's the the long way of saying his contract is over. Mm. Like that's just the mechanism by Mm -hmm. which you have to terminate a contract Mm -hmm. in the NHL. Um, He was, uh, he only had a one-year contract with us. He's actually on his fifth team in five years. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, His brother who plays in um, uh, college was kicked off his team. Let's see. He was released by the University Wait, of Manitoba. Oh, no. The, the other player was for the Panthers. It, his brother wasn't playing for the Panthers. Okay. Correct. So I there was the, the formerly the capital, the guy who plays on the Panthers, and then the capital's brother who played for the University of Manitoba. And he's mm-hmm. been released from that team as well, which I think is incredible. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, it's not a – so one thing I will say is – he was not like a star player for the Capitals. Right. He yeah. was not, he was not a difference maker. 
his contract was going to be up at the end of the season anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I do take it as a victory mm-hmm. because the NHL acknowledged that the comments were misogynistic mm-hmm. um, and the Capitals released him from the team, I suspect we'd be seeing something very different if this was a different caliber player. Right. This was not a painful thing for anybody to do. No. No. Interesting. Yeah. What have the other but players it was still, said about it? Um, so Leipzig himself posted uh, a uh, an apology. I recognize how inappropriate and offensive my comments are and apologize. I'm committed to becoming a better person by taking time to determine how to move forward in an accountable, meaningful way, which I actually think is, a, is one of the better apologies I've heard mm-hmm. because it doesn't just say I'm – Sorry to anyone who was offended, but <laughs> uh-huh. I also don't believe it. Like, sure. it's a load of crap. I don't. I don't yeah, actually believe that that's going to change anything. Speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, I don't have the quote now. Um, but Brett Hull, who is a um, like hockey royalty for better or worse, he made a comment um, that. Oh, shoot. I thought I had it here. He made a comment that um, social media has ruined what it's like to be a player because back in his day, you couldn't be held accountable for off-ice behavior. And I'm like... Oh, yeah. Wasn't the one who said we're not allowed to have fun anymore or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe don't be a misogynistic dick. And you won't have to be held accountable for anything off the ice. That's like, who was that? There was that one comic recently who said something similar that like, he can't, he's not getting hired anywhere because he can't make his funniest jokes anymore because all his funniest jokes are, you know, misogynistic and racist. And he was like, humor is dead. You know what? Frankly, I'm glad we don't remember who that is because (laughs) they don't deserve to be remembered. Don't want to give them any more uh, Uh notoriety. Yeah. So as far as I know, um, the Panthers have just said we don't support this guy's comments, but I don't think they've released him from his contract. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think they have. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and Leipzig deleted his Instagram, which is, of course, the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the writer thing would have been not to be disgusting <laughs> like that to begin with. Yes. Well, apparently that ship yeah. has sailed. But yes, okay, so yes. like, have his have any of his teammates said anything? Have any of the people who were being called out and commented on said anything? Yeah. So, um, so the two of the women who um, were being commented on were interviewed by somebody this week, mm-hmm. and one of them said, "I happened to be on a walk with one of my close friends when I looked at my phone and I had all these notifications about it. And I was really lucky to be with her because she was able to just tell me they're stupid boys making stupid comments. This mm-hmm. is not actually a reflection on you, which mm-hmm. I think is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but she said something along the lines of the fact that she's really sad that this has to happen to anyone mm-hmm. and that she knows other people don't have the support systems. Mm. She does. That's sad. Yeah. Um, but th- I, I didn't read a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of want to let them have their privacy. No, totally. Yeah. How horrifying. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I haven't seen any of the teammates speak up. Um, 
I suspect they are behind closed doors. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Especially the two he called losers. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I've got to imagine that it's... Sadly, that kind of talk is probably not surprising to their teammates. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I can't imagine you you hide that kind of attitude very well, especially not in a sport, in a in a culture like hockey, which tends to be rather outdated. <laughs> I mean, I I would assume that it would at least somewhat vary team by team, because I think this is a situation where, yeah, there's probably always going to be a certain level of that, like, realistically, but also who is on your team probably makes a fairly large difference in what is and is not socially yes. acceptable. Um, yes. I yeah. know... And I would also no, say... And, oh, I was just going to say, I know that, yeah. that that's a thing with the Warriors, is that they are one of the more, quote-unquote, PC teams behind closed doors because they have several stars who are not dicks and Mm -hmm. it makes a difference in the team culture you know yes yes and and i don't mean to insinuate that he's like dropping the c word in the locker room sure un uncalled out because i like to think that the capitals are are pretty good about this but i've just got to imagine it's not surprising that he's sexist and gross no totally (laughs) they may not have been getting the full force of it right i hope i don't know yeah yeah and i would also think the fact that they're like people's significant others involved. Yeah. Because there you've got dueling toxic masculinities because, (laughs) you know, on the one hand, you can talk about women that way. On the other hand, you can't talk about my woman that way. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. And and the Capitals do have um, their their most outspoken um, players. um, I almost called him Brandon Holtby. Oh, my God. It's been too long since hockey. (laughs) Brandon Holtby. (laughs) Um, who like names. goes to the DC Pride Parade every year, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, there's no way that he would stand for that kind of language. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But that uh, segues nice into our next topic of sexism in sports. Yay, Rachel! <laughs> I think you had some follow ups from last time. Hooray! Oh, <laughs> it wasn't a big thing. I just like I forgot when we were talking last week because we didn't talk too much about my. Um, Experience as a, a kid from ages eight, like eight to 12, uh, playing softball. And, uh, I have a, I did find that, a trading card of mine from yeah, that you, time. Have you posted it, Nancy? No, I haven't. You need to. I, was, I, I thought you were gonna. So I was waiting. I did post mine. Oh, okay. No, I can do that. I was, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, took a trip down memory road for that one. Brought enough it's braces so for the whole neighborhood, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, but I had just remembered and I'd forgotten to talk about that uh, I had to, for at least a year, I don't know if it was the first, maybe it might have been the first year I played, that I would have the games on Saturday morning and then I would have to rush home and take a shower in the middle of the day, like a crazy person, <laughs> to go to etiquette classes in the afternoon. I can only imagine Wait, that like, some kind of deal was struck between my parents. <laughs> Wait, like, so that, is this like my fair lady, like walk with your back straight and a book on your head kind of etiquette? A little bit. Yeah, I went to the oh local mall, as I remember. Uh, lessons were on the mezzanine. I remember that because I learned the word mezzanine <laughs> from that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know who taught them 
you know, where they got this person to teach them. But it was very like, cross your ankles when you sit. Uh huh. And oh my god, uh, you know which fork to use. Uh huh. And uh, yeah. So that was. Wow. I, I can only imagine my parents made some kind of deal where I was allowed to play sports, but yet I also had to go had to, to etiquette lessons. Lady. So the sports didn't mess me up too bad. So, which, oh my god. Can you confirm, yes. Rachel, that you did not, in fact, grow a pair from playing softball as a child? Uh, let me check. Um, <laughs> Take no. as long as you need. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, Mom, I love you, but I hope you didn't spend too much for those etiquette lessons because uh, I have not they needed to select which, which dinner fork I needed. Like, And I'll tell you what I remember the most vividly from that class is they were teaching us how to do our nails all nice, right? Mm, mm-hmm. So the lady says, you take the emery board and you file the top of your nail. Mm-hmm. And I say, the, the, the top of my nail? Mm-hmm. She says, yes, the top of your nail. And I guess I was far enough away that I couldn't see what she was doing. But I was like, okay, doesn't sound right to me, but you're the expert. And I take it and I just laterally across the top of my nail start uh-huh. sawing with the emery board. <laughs> no, that's exactly like, what no, no, I would no, have no, done too. No, 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 not like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah wow yeah i didn't know etiquette lessons were a thing that still happened yep they are i yeah in the probably still happen now too yep the early 90s yep oh my gosh i hated having to race home because we had the latest game that day like i couldn't really stay and celebrate with the team i had to race home and yeah that sucks but i it was not all four years that i was i think it was maybe one or two years Mm mm-hmm only so many things that can be covered. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, so wow. Rebecca, last week or whenever it was, because time is meaningless. It might have been two weeks ago. I don't know. <laughs> whenever. <Time is> <laughs> it's fine. Whatever it was that Rachel and I were talking about this, we, you know, we we were talking a little bit both about, um, you know, what it was like for us both to play sports as girls as children in the nineties in the Rachel in Florida and me in the butt of Illinois. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, we both, I think my experiences were a little more overtly sexist than, than Rachel's were, but then again, (laughs) hers were apparently balanced (laughs) out by etiquette classes. (laughs) Yes. But um, we were also talking a little bit about like experiences as uh, as adults, as women in like sports fandom and going to games and stuff like that. But we were both saying at the time that I think you have gone to quite a few more than we have, and you've been involved in mm-hmm. like adult professional sports more than we have, and and I think in the sort of like online sports fandom sphere community sense than we have so i would be really interested to hear what your experiences with that have been like like personally how has it been for you have Mm -hmm. you had anything come up is there like what's it been um yeah so so starting with hockey twitter Mm -hmm. um which is primarily where i see hockey fandom i get a little bit on instagram Mm -hmm. um it's definitely still a very sexist world Mm. um i mean you you even see it in the in the commentating um yeah it's still very white rich old male dominated um there are uh, a handful of though a growing handful of women hockey journalists Mm -hmm. and commentators 
and they just constantly everything they say is is met with a barrage of you're a woman you don't know anything go back to doing whatever get out of hockey this is my sport you know Mm -hmm. bullshit like that um but that said i've kind of made a point of trying to um to cull my own um twitter hockey twitter experience by following primarily women writers and um male writers who are not that who actually like (laughs) call out some of their their sexist racist counterparts and stuff like that um on a more personal level yeah I have been to quite a few hockey games and again I do think hockey is hockey culture is kind of backwards and has a long way to go Mm -hmm. um the the thing that I experience most as a woman hockey fan is the assumption that I don't know Mm. what I'm seeing right yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the the one time that stands out the most memorably, Brittany and I were at the um, at a game. Um, I want to. I actually don't remember which game it was, but we were in like the third row behind the glass. So close. We like to sit up close. Yeah. We, yeah. We like to be up close to the game. Yeah. And we were having a conversation about goalies, and the guy behind us like jumped in as if we didn't know what we were talking about mm. with a very basic fact. Like the the stars were playing a back to back. So they were playing two nights in a row. Mm-hmm. And so they switch goalies in a back to back. Like that's common knowledge. That's what they do. Sure. And he interjected into our conversation telling us that because girls assumed that we didn't know this very yeah. basic fact. Yeah. Um, so that's that's mostly the overt sexism that I that I experience in sports. Though there also was the time that we were in Edmonton watching the the Stars play the Oilers and there were a couple of yahoos sitting a few rows behind us that because we were wearing Stars gear just started shouting the C word at us. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and the the Oilers fans next to us were like what is happening over there? Like, so some people were totally chill, uh-huh. but some people are, you know, not. Interesting. Have you ever felt like when you've gone to a game uh, or, you know, gone to, a, if you've gone to like a fan event, like a, like a tailgate or something, have you ever felt unsafe? The only time I felt unsafe was in Edmonton, mm-hmm. was with that particular guy. And then when we were walking from the arena back to our hotel, mm-hmm. there were two Oilers fans walking behind us, like shouting about the stars and how uh, the stars suck and how the, you know, whoever, whichever player jersey we were wearing was terrible mm-hmm. and how they played terribly. And and the, it was dark. Right. We there we were like yeah. the only four people walking in this one direction and we just did not turn around. We just kept walking. Right. Um Right. And I feel like situations but, but like in the arenas I've not I've not okay. felt unsafe. That's good. Yeah, I feel yeah. like yeah. situations like that, you know, I are such a weird line because I, I have definitely heard things like that, not defended, but explained as like, well, that's how people behave to the opposing team. It's not that you were a girl. It's just that like you were wearing a star's jersey. Right. 
And it's like, well, mm-hmm. first of all, there's no way to prove that's true, right? Like, yeah. maybe they wouldn't have done that if you were, you know, a six and a half foot guy, right? Like, I could right. say pretty definitively they would not have done that. <laughs> but also, it's a whole different sense of because of how things play out right like say these guys really did actually want to start shit with you like if you're a dude Mm -hmm. you know worst case like they punch you right as Mm -hmm. women there's a whole different level because sexual violence is a thing that is frequently you know resorted to in situations where angry men Mm -hmm. want to make a point right so Mm -hmm. it's a whole extra set of yeah there's an extra layer yeah exactly that i feel like is is fraught in these sorts of situations yeah now i will say uh i do have the the privilege in hockey arenas of being white yes because i know Mm -hmm. that women of color struggle considerably more Mm -hmm. um first because they're women or i don't know i don't even want to rank it right but because they're women and because they are not white right um like there's a there's a black girl hockey club yes which is I mean, the stuff they do is incredible. They try to have like meetups at arenas all over the country. Um, they've they've met some of the teams because they're like trying to introduce mm-hmm. um, some color into the the sports fandom, and they're trying to give, um, especially women of color, a a community in this fandom. Um, and the shit that they face is oh, I can't even awful. imagine. Yeah, it's ten times worse. Yeah. So I think, I think with hockey being a predominantly white sport, that affords me quite a bit of safety in this situation. Mm-hmm. I would say it probably also helps that, like, while none of us are old, we are also visibly not teenagers. I imagine the particularly yeah. young women probably have it even worse, too, um, because, mm-hmm. you know, just as a younger woman, like people even more assume you don't know what the hell you're talking about or what the hell you're doing. So I can only assume the explaining gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Nancy, you were talking about before you saw something about, um, when sports come back Mm -hmm. and women's sports. Yeah. Yeah. So I talked a little while ago about this newsletter called power plays, um, that I really dig. Um, it comes out, you know, weekly or every other week or so. And the, and she does have a Patreon, which I should sign up for at some point. But the newsletter is free. And she had this great proposal that I thought was really clever, which was when we get to the point of reopening sports, whenever that is, um, just take, you know, a month. And before we open all the men's sports, open the women's sports first. Because at that point, we're all going to be so starved for content that a lot of the fans will watch anything. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. you could introduce this whole new audience to women's sports, women's hockey, women's soccer, women's basketball, um, and, you know, hopefully build in a sudden whole new wave of fans that would then continue after you open up the men's sports as well, or at least get some visibility for them, right? Like, even if people didn't Mm -hmm, then keep watching, which presumably at least some would, but, but even then you'd at least have introduced the concept to a ton of folks that like, there is a WNBA and there is a National Women's Soccer League. Um, And, and, There was a second part of the proposal, too, which I would like to see more of as well, which is that 
while we are, you know, digging deep and playing all these like classic games on the TV uh, and all of that, that we should really uh, be, especially on like the sports channels like ESPN and, you know, Sports Bay Area and whatever, we should be making a point to play an equal number of women's games so that, again, you get, you have this sort of captive audience, you have this, you know, viewership that's desperate for any kind of content mm-hmm. um, that would yeah. then and I mean, you this. could also, I haven't read the same thing you have, but, it, you know, it could even be marketed as, you know, game we've never played before, you know, for the first time yeah, since right. it was recorded, you know, because, yeah, totally. I mean, not that people, I don't know, I don't particularly love watching old games. No, me either. But... Like, this is content you haven't seen before, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, I think that, I love yeah, that, I think idea. that would make a smart marketing decision. I, I feel like we should write to our individual teams or the networks that show our teams and say, hey, how, you know, you're clearly starved for content, right? <laughs> like, the <laughs> NBC Sports Washington is playing four games featuring Tom Wilson tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, instead of featuring four Tom Wilson games, how about we do two Tom Wilson games and two, like, Mystics games? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. That that would be amazing. This is really a, a perfect opportunity to take a thirsty market yep. and quench us. <laughs> I, I, I regret that. I saw that. the regret as soon as you, the word yeah. came out of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I thought it was a really clever idea. I really did. Um, and, and it gets back to, you know, there was that whole thing in, in a previous Power Plays uh, newsletter that I read to you guys that was like concrete suggestions for how to raise visibility of women's sports. Um, and so many of them were things that would just never have occurred to me. So I know that I personally need to like commit to making more of an effort in that area um, and trying to, to raise the visibility and actually, you know, put my money where my mouth is literally and figuratively. Um, I do own a Seattle Storm t-shirt just to go with my, my Warriors t-shirt. So like, let the record show. Um, but except nobody gets to see your t-shirts now. I know. I know. It's so sad. Um, but yeah, I, I can mean, can you share that article again or that newsletter again? So we can look at that. Yeah, absolutely. Things to do. Yeah, I will definitely. Or maybe post it on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Sure, for sure. Yeah, I can definitely make that happen. Um, and, and I think, you know, we could we could ourselves uh, decide like a concrete action that we're each going to do. Uh, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. I'm going to watch, you know, some WNBA games that I know that they're also showing mm-hmm. classic content right now, like, or whatever, um, or I'm gonna, you know, go do some of these actions that were listed in the newsletter, like, whatever, something to to m- habituate myself into engaging more with women's sports than I currently do. Um, so I love that idea. Yeah. So that's something, I mean, we. Sh- I feel like we should all go give it a think and then like we can tweet about it or something or write a little blog, what we're going to do. Yeah. That would be. And get our get our five listeners on board. All five of them. Yes. Every <laughs> single one of them. We expect to hear from you on Twitter. Yes. What you're going to do. <laughs> um, so we're talking just very, very uh, broadly about when sports come back. Um so I was reading an article that talked in vague terms about plans to come back. And one um, unnamed general manager said, 
we don't have any good ideas. They're all varying degrees of bad. That checks out. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Why are we even? Why are we even talking about it if all the ideas of varying degrees of bad? Mm-hmm. Um, the the one that seems to have the most traction. I don't know that it actually has much traction, but the most traction is the quarantining the teams yep. in like a, a city. Yep. Um, which, if you look at at any of our sports, that quarantine is going to have to be like months long. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it it's just hundreds I, of I people. Don't, yeah. Yes, if not thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so George George Larock um, is a former. Um, NHL player. Um, he's French Canadian. He lives in Montreal. He was actually diagnosed with COVID-19. He was in the hospital for about five days and then they released him because he was healthy enough to go quarantine at home and they need as many beds as they can, mm-hmm. as they can, um, get right now. And he, um, he made a statement and he says, so he has, uh, pneumonia in both of his lungs Ugh. as part of, the Ooh, symptoms wow. from from this yeah um and he basically said it's stupid to come back right now and it's inhumane to try to separate players from their families for 4 months for sports mm-hmm. just yep. call it a day and move on mm-hmm. and and i liked that yeah <laughs> that's kind of how i feel yeah yeah no i mean that's definitely like nothing that's that's where I am. I mean, I know the the NBA yeah. is having some of the same basic discussions that the NHL is, which is, mm-hmm. can we put everybody mm-hmm. in one city and do playoffs? And then it, you get into like, okay, but do you have to try and play out the end of the regular season? And if so, like this, the teams who have already been statistically eliminated, like why would they? <laughs> like who's mm-hmm. going to agree to do this and why would you? Like there's no point in them mm-hmm. going. But then, okay, so how do you just – if you want to do the championships, do you like – just pick whoever was the top, you know, 16 at the end of the, at the end of the season when it ended, do you say, you know what, mm-hmm. we're just going to pick the top eight and just do a best of them? Do Like, it's just ridiculous. And it's so complicated. And it's, yeah, it just does nobody any good. And like, at this point, it's been two months since anybody played anything so like even if they're conditioning at home like they're not going to come in ready to play you got to build in time to like mm-hmm. get the team back up to speed you know it's it's a hot yeah, mess. I wonder, and go ahead rachel oh i was just gonna say i wonder if at this point it's more about like the higher-ups have to show that they're you know doing something or thinking about something Maybe. and crunching numbers more so than just you know because, I mean, at this point, we don't have enough data to know what it's going to look like when we're able to, to come yeah. back. But, I mean, all this kind of smacks of, like, busy work. Yeah. Like, I think MLB was talking about trying to play the second half of the season, but just, like, only using the um, spring training ballparks mm. and keeping them close to the public. And nothing about that really makes sense. <laughs> um, but it was, like... See, look at us. We're trying. We're mm-hmm. trying to have sports. So I don't know. That's See, a really good point. For I me, hadn't thought about that. For me, it just smacks of they're trying to save their – they're trying to make money. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to – you yeah. know, they've already lost millions if not billion, probably not billions, yeah. but they've lost millions yeah, of dollars. Maybe. And so they want to get back to making their millions of dollars as soon as possible. And what's important is the money and not – 
the players and certainly not the support staff or the cleaning staff or the arena staff right. in any of these places. Yeah, right. Like there, there was another article that I, I tweeted about from our account and it just, I didn't even finish the article cause it was making me so angry, but it was like, where the, the author was saying something about how we're putting these players with their eight figure salaries held hostage and I was like, I'm sorry, I, I don't give a single shit about a player being held hostage in their million dollar home. Yeah. And then it was like, what if, what if a a maid in the hotel comes in and gets a player sick? And I'm like, no, what about the other way around? Yeah. yeah. Like, because the player is going to be fine. They're in the peak of health. They have health insurance. Yep. They have money. Yep. But if you get... Uh, if you get a hotel housekeeper sick, they probably don't have great benefits. If they any. probably don't have paid leave. Yeah, like it, it's just it's it's they're they're protecting their investment without considering the lives, like the actual physical lives of the people who support these leagues. Right. Well, and that's the thing. Like, if you were actually going to do sports quarantine edition and manage to do it safely like you have to basically make biosphere three like that's what you have to do you have to bring in an entire city's worth of people your doctors your house cleaners your food prep people your drivers your everything Mm -hmm. and then you have to lock them down entirely for two full weeks at least to make sure that none of them have it already and then nobody can leave until all of this is done like it's just well, and even then, yeah. you talk about food. You're going to have to have food delivered. Yeah, or that's like, not a safe environment that that's coming from. No, I mean you'd have to do all non-perishables. Like you're all eating chili for the next four months. Yeah, yeah. all uh, all of our stored, uh, you know, armed forces MREs right. in a warehouse Frozen somewhere in Nevada. Veg, Shit like, those in. Yeah, you guys get that mountain of potatoes from Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, it's the only way, like, it would be the only way to do it in a manner that was actually safe. Because the second anybody comes down with something, any one of those people, then you have to start the whole thing over, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other problem, of course, is testing, which is that not all of our tests are super accurate. So you really do have to quarantine everybody very strictly at the beginning and see, make sure that nobody gets sick because just testing people every day is not going to do it. No. And also we're already short on tests. So let's not take the tests Mm. away from the hospitals where people are vulnerable (laughs) and give them to (laughs) the millionaires. Yeah. 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 yeah, we should probably not start that conversation no. when we're already <laughs> no, we're an hour to... <laughs> deep. <laughs> R.I.P. Sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but before we do wrap up, I want to check in and see how you guys are doing. Do you have any other sports updates? How are you coping uh, without sports? Well, uh, Korea started playing baseball. Um, <laughs> the Korean Baseball League has has started up, and ESPN is airing some of those games. Um, haven't caught any of them because they're on like between like one and five in the morning. <laughs> um, and but time is meaningless, so just become nocturnal. Like Meatloaf said, "I will do anything for baseball, but I won't do that." <laughs> um, so yes, classic meat, meatloaf song. Episode yes. title right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it, it also opens up a whole new world of, of some truly uh, interesting mascots that uh, maybe we'll we'll talk about next time. Um, yes. There are some uh, some interesting choices being made over in the <laughs> Korean Pro Baseball Leagues. <laughs> and uh, we can explore those because we have the little, time. I can't. You want to give us a preview of one of those? Well, the uh, is it the NC Dinos? Uh, their their uh, mascot is as a dinosaur, and normally I am all in favor of dinosaur mascots. I think we learned that yeah, legit. recently. Um, and there's appears to be some kind of uh, large herbivore um, in the in mode of a you know a Diplodocus or a a, a Patasaurus. Yes. However, they have made the choice for him to have human human musculature and lots of it. No! And he is known as Swole Daddy. No! Yes. We have, you know, incorporated an element of sexuality that I think was just completely unnecessary. Oh, God. When they give the animal mascots, like, the human torso. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so uncomfortable. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So maybe this episode is called Swole Daddy. No, I don't want to <laughs> no. do that. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. 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 I will say I've been paying vague attention to skating, to figure skating. They're doing Let's Air All the Classics just like everybody else is. Um, it was fun. I did I did actually watch some of the classics. I want to say I watched some 2010 figure skating and... Wow, some of those costumes, man! Like, mm. that was that was a mood in the uh, the uh, late late aughts. Uh, It'd be interesting to look at fashion trends and in, in figure well, skating. It would because because I mean, figure skating's aesthetic is already so like out there to begin with, right? Like, yeah, you know, you're starting from a fairly high bar, but mm, there was a, there was some costumes. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that was fun. There's also some some like hot uh hot gossip in the skating world just that like I know there's currently sort of a mass exodus from one coach to like several others, but I don't know enough about what's going on to say anything intelligently other than like my Twitter feed's very concerned and or excited depending on which side of things you're on. <laughs> um, sure. So that's that's about it. I mean, we did have a suggestion that I think uh, we should lean into. And I think this was us talking about it in our little Twitter DMs. But um, we are all currently cross stitching, I believe, um, because we are, in fact, about 90 years old, all of us. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there are, in fact, uh, cross stitches for each of our teams so I think we should all get our team logo cross-stitch kits and do ourselves some <laughs> little sports crafts. I think we should, too. That would be fun. Yeah, I think it'd be real cute. And and the 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 one I'm working on right now is is bigger and more complicated than I expected it to be. Uh-huh. So it'll be nice to have something <laughs> smaller so that I can, like, finish. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And say, oh, I can finish a thing. <laughs> Very nice. All right. So that will post updates yeah. to the Instagram of our uh, sports cross-stitch progress. <laughs> Perfect. See, <laughs> we have many varied interests. <laughs> this is what we do when we can't sport. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, all right. I think that's been it for us. You can find us uh, online, Instagram at Foul Puck Podcast, Twitter at Foul Puck Pod, Foul Puck Pod on Facebook, foulpuckpodcast.net. Uh, 
is our website. Um, yeah, and you can reach like us individually to... on Twitter as well. Oh, sorry, Rachel. Go ahead. Oh, no, I didn't mean to step on you there. Uh, I'm just going to say we'd also like to thank Joe for doing our editing and uh, here, Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for our music. Yep. And uh, so we'll catch you next time on Foul Puck Podcast. Thank you.